Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. We've been trying to reach you about your car's insurance. Oh, I'm just joking. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, This week, man, we're dealing with uh, one of the subjects they tell you not to talk about over at Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, that means that this is kind of a religion-heavy podcast. And that's because my guest this week is Father Stephen Gadbury. He's a Catholic priest with the uh, diocese here in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he's the parish priest over at St. Teresa's, which is a uh, church and Catholic grade school over on the southwest side of Little Rock. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, this podcast is about people who make their own way, and there's many, many, many different ways to do that. And I totally understand, you know, that religion is a hot-button topic for a lot of people, and that, hell, man, man, you know, maybe you got some beef with it. Uh, and that's fine, and I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything here. I've got my own opinions on stuff. But I'm really interested in how this guy is putting his life together. As a, as a person who grew up going to parochial schools in St. Louis, this guy's kind of a breath of fresh air as far as a priest uh, and a religious figure. Has a super interesting and, you know, to my experience, non-traditional background. Uh, and seems to really be coming to this with a lot of self-exploration, uh, humility, and uh, just some real-world knowledge about, you know, what life is like for regular everyday people, uh, not existing in this ivory tower that I think far too often, uh, religious figures and especially religious authorities either place themselves in or are placed in, uh, by the people around them. And it's really, uh, really hard to, to live up, uh, to something like that because, you know, we all fall short of the glory as Lenny Kravitz once said in uh, Behind the Music. But uh, Father Stephen Gadbury is, uh, if you go to his Instagram page, and we'll talk about this. He's kind of, he's like a self-described priest who uh, curses and drinks cheap beer. He is a bow hunter. He's focusing a lot now on traditional archery. It's got to be one of the only rectories. I walked into this rectory and like the first thing I see is, uh, two Euro-mounted Axis deer skulls, like one in full velvet and one hard-boned, really cool. He sat there and told me about how he was doing his own Euro-mounts and how much time he takes with them and how meticulous he is. And then we talk a lot about uh, intentionality and how he leads his life and uh, what motivated him to go from being uh, a farm kid in East Arkansas to over in Iraq uh, as a veteran of the Air Force, to then going to seminary 
and uh, doing eight years of seminary here in the States and going to Rome, Italy and finding his way back to Arkansas and now working with the community that uh, he's a part of now. Uh, super interesting dude. Just, uh, you know, I've, I've only met him once and had a few dealings with him, man, but seems so well-intentioned, uh, seems so honest and and real about what he's talking about. And he's, I bet you he's one of the only priests you're going to hear talk about uh, Jocko Willink and uh, doing CrossFit and uh, uh, like right now, he's actually, as I release this, he's, he's actually up in Colorado on an elk hunt. So super fascinating guy. I so enjoyed this conversation. Uh, he actually, he doesn't live that far from me, and I hope to get to hang out with him again sometime because uh, I just love the way he's, he's kind of looking at life and how it seems like he's actually, you know, walking the walk as opposed to just talking the talk. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoy uh, this conversation with Father Stephen Gadbear. All right, and welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This week I'm here in Little Rock, uh, actually kind of in my neighborhood. We're here on the south. I don't want to uh, dox myself, but kind of on the southwest side of Little Rock. And I am at St. Teresa's which is a uh, Catholic parish and uh, grade school. Or how, how high does the school go up to? Eighth grade. Eighth grade, yeah, so grade school. Uh, and I'm with Father Stephen Gadbury, who is, you might have seen him on, on Instagram. He's got quite a following, but he's like a uh, uh, self-described cussing, cheap beer drinking, kind of cross-fitting hunting priest. Uh, which seems very appropriate for these modern times. Uh, and yeah, I got him. He was generous enough to let me come and visit, what, a few days before you go on an elk hunt? Yeah. So, yeah, and I was telling, I was telling my, uh, my editor, Brian, I was texting him. I was like, uh, no podcast this week, man. But I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go talk to this priest who's like hunts and does CrossFit stuff and all this. And he was like, man, that's a weird combination. <laughs> I think because we both grew up in like parochial schools in in St. Louis and that's not what priests did. I mean all the priests I knew were like old white hair men, you know, who there was one dude who had like a long beard and would drink beer and like go bowling and drink beer and he was like maybe the youngest one. He was like fifty. Sounds like a cool dude. He was all right, man. I never had him in class, but everyone loved him. Uh but yeah, so like obviously there's all sorts of, you know, kind of interesting or quote-unquote non-traditional aspects about your life that we're going to get into. Uh, maybe for me, one of the biggest things is, so like I was just telling you, I grew up in St. Louis. St. Louis is, is like an old city. It's an old Catholic city uh, settled by lots of people uh, with strong ties to the Catholic Church. So like lots of Polish people, lots of Irish people, lots of Italians, right? Like I went to high school in a neighborhood called The Hill, which was like the Italian neighborhood. Uh, and so I grew up, like, you know, my idea of Christianity was, based, like, I've, I was raised Lutheran and then went to Catholic schools, uh, when did I start? Sixth grade through, through high school. Uh, and so I was very familiar with it. And then when I moved down to Arkansas is when I was introduced to, like, kind of a different, uh, you know, kind of Bible Belt, uh, Baptist, Four Square, Church of Christ uh, 
idea of Christianity, which was, which was different to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's not like a huge Catholic presence comparatively in the state of Arkansas, but there are these havens, right? Uh, kind of by Eureka Springs, there was like a bunch of Italians that settled up there. And so there's, uh, some parishes up there. And then here in Little Rock, I mean, they've always existed, but I would imagine nowadays it's probably heavily Latino influenced, right? Yeah. Especially like on this part of town. Right. The great majority here, probably 95% of our people here. We got about 6,500, 7,000 people here in the church and about 93, 95% of those are Hispanic. So that's definitely the majority. Yeah. Uh, but man, so let's, I don't usually go back and say like, where did you, where'd you come from? But it's, it's probably appropriate on this one. So, uh, you're originally from Arkansas and we were just talking about it, but mm. so you're from the Wynn area, which is Northeast Arkansas. Uh, and you said you grew up farming and from a farm family. Yeah, man. Born and raised here in this great state. I love it. It's, it's just a fantastic state. As you just said, grew up in Wynn, Arkansas, just south of Jonesboro, uh, Jonesboro, west of Memphis there in the Arkansas Delta, a little small family farm, 200 acres. We had rice and soybeans, just hardworking people. Uh, just came from a low-class working family. Every day you wake up and just put the hand to the plow, basically, like to use the, the scriptural, you know, uh, reference. But just every day was a grind. Man, it, you know, some days sucked. <laughs> some days were just work. And uh, But, you know, like the harder you work makes the, the fruits of your labors just taste even sweeter. And, uh, and so that was kind of the, the theme of my life growing up. Uh, grew up in a small, close family and, uh, yeah, born and raised there after graduating, you know, from high school, went to public schools my whole life, went to the military for a little bit. That's when I heard the calling, you could say. And, uh, 2008 is whenever I went to seminary. That's eight year process, four years in Louisiana, four years in Rome, Italy. And then, uh, been here for the last six years doing priest stuff. Did you grow up Catholic? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, born and raised Catholic every Sunday we wake up and go to church and, uh, uh, it was uh, it was just a non-negotiable as a family. So we all did. Like God was, like He was, He was in there, and um, and it wasn't something like um, like oh, you know, do we want to do it or not? Like it was just a no-brainer for us. And so we, we you know, God was was right there in the center, and uh, uh, yeah, always always grew up going to church. Is there is there kind of a little bastion of Catholicism over there in East Arkansas too? Yeah, down throughout East Arkansas, there's a lot of uh, early uh, German settlers that came over there and started sure. farming. And uh, and usually the families would come, and basically a church would start around an extended family. And um, yeah, as you were laying out earlier, all sorts of different um, cultural backgrounds throughout East Arkansas and also the River Valley, just um, you know west of Little Rock, between Little Rock and Fort Smith, a lot of Germans there. Um, and yeah, and Germans then, are pretty much going to be Lutheran or Catholic. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the Italians and different, a few different French pockets. But but you, you said it perfectly, you know, just these families come and little, these early immigrants have their communities. And, and I grew up one of those in, in one of those communities. Okay, yeah. Man, there's another dude that's been on the podcast. Uh, and it just, I just, there's, I meet so few Catholics down here that it stuck out of my head, this dude, uh, Case in Short, who's. Uh, got Bill Byers Hunt Club, and he lives in, I think he actually lives in Memphis, about an hour away, man, but uh, I can't remember. I think his kids go to Catholic school or something like that, man, but uh, that's what I was wondering about there in East Arkansas, and that makes total sense, man. Like, you got agricultural families kind of following the travel routes and the rivers and everything, and yeah, that would, because it is kind of a weird thing. Like, you got St. Louis, you got down in Louisiana, 
And then there's right in the middle is like this sweep of uh, the Bible belt, you know, kind of more uh, evangelical Protestant denominations. But but anyway, so I'll... (laughs) The hunting makes sense to me, right? But you told me that you didn't get into hunting until adulthood, right? Like later in life? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, t- tell me about that. I'm going to ask you about the, like, weightlifting and all that other stuff and the bush beer, but... Uh, <laughs> bush beer, you can't beat that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm from St. Louis, and I don't even like bush beer. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a Budweiser guy. I'll pray uh, for you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, but, yeah, so how did you, how did you come into hunting? Because I bet you there's... I mean, we could probably talk for hours and hours about uh, the analogies with like faith and hunting. And Man, there's so much there to unpack. Stuff. Yeah, growing up, so my family we didn't hunt. None of us hunted. We we grew up on the farm. Like we'd shoot snakes or something like that, possums or armadillos or whatever. But like it was more pest control. But uh, it wasn't a lot of active hunting. Growing up, there weren't a whole bunch of deer in the immediate area where I lived. And since just over the last 15 years, deer have slowly moved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it, but then duck hunting, of course, in the Delta is huge. It was huge, but we just, my family didn't duck hunt. And so I didn't grow up around that, didn't grow up around duck hunting, deer hunting, you know, this sort of hunting. Uh, it was after actually I became a priest, um, moved back to Arkansas that, um, uh, probably 2017 is whenever, actually that's when I got, got my first deer, little doe with a 270 202 yards i was proud of that man that was a that was a big moment that's a long shot <laughs> yeah. in arkansas yeah yeah right down a down this long drive and uh, she came out but anyhow that's here neither here nor there but yeah the first you know that first harvest for any hunter is like it's like a special moment and and something happened but uh, as i mentioned earlier i was in the military and then seminary so that was um around 11 12 years that i was out of arkansas and you don't realize you don't realize how special home is until you're away from home, and so being out of Arkansas for 12 years just made me fall madly in love with this great state. And then moving back, um, that's whenever I uh, just just fell in love with the state. And then hunting was just a natural way to to be in this uh, you know and experience the natural state. Mm-hmm. We could say so. So that's one thing. Just this this desire to come back home and be part of this great state. Um, but then also I'm very introverted and as a priest, as a, you know, a minister, as a preacher, I'm with people all day long and I do well, I work well with people, uh, can be very charismatic, very animated, um, uh, you know, good leader, all right, preacher, pretty good preacher, but, uh, like it zaps me, man. Um, it, but being an introvert, I can recharge pretty quickly and hunting is one of those times where I just go out and, and recharge. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, when you start talking about it, I get it. Like, that's something we talk about a lot, like the restorative nature mm-hmm. of nature, right, of being in the woods. Uh, it's something I've been focused on a lot recently because, you know, duck hunting is usually a communal activity. And then if I'm running hunts and, you know, I've got clients and whatnot in or in the last few years, you know, writers or people filming stuff or whatever uh, – yeah, man, it, 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 it takes a lot of energy. Like, you got to be on. You kind of have to to give people the experience that I'm trying to give them. Is like, there's a level of vulnerability you have to get comfortable with so that they can kind of expose themselves and everybody can get what they want out of it. And, yeah, it is draining. So, like, I went to, I went to the Bear Woods the last couple of weeks, or not, whenever it was, early season here, a couple of weeks ago, like, specifically to be alone, right, mm-hmm. and, just, and just kind of – 
key into that stuff, like listening to the wind and just like paying attention to reading sign and not have the stress of like, you gotta, you know, you're freaked out because you don't know if the birds are going to fly and you want people to have this right experience. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, there's, there's something super restorative about it. And yeah, like the Bible talks about it and, you know, uh, millennia of, of writers and people writing songs and yeah. whatever, you know, man, nature really, the restorative aspect is, is huge. And it, it gives us a good reset, you know, being with people all day, um, anybody, I mean, it's, it's a human relationship, this, this call and response, opening yourself up, being vulnerable, interacting with somebody else that's opening themselves up and being vulnerable. And there's this constant desire to love the person in front of you, but just it goes over and over that you're not loved the way you want to be loved and these wounds come up and even with the best relationship there's still broken aspects of it there's there's things that aren't perfect in the relationship in the dynamic and so even the best human relationship will still cost us in one way and nature has has is it's like almost gives us a baseline for going back for what a relationship looks like and so what i mean is like you go to nature you got to be vulnerable you got to respect nature because you know if you want to yeah, it's a dance. It'll keep you humble, keep you honest. Um, but when you do your part, very often it unfolds, and it just yeah, get, get gets back for like a get you to a good baseline. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. So this is interesting to me. So you you uh, you go to the military right after high school? I went to college for a year, and I hated it in Forest City. I went to East Arkansas Community College, great school, but I went because my mom and grandma made me. Sure. And, uh, you know, if mom and grandma ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they made me go to school. Um, and then, uh, and then after a year down there is when I went to the Air Force. Okay. And then, so you said you're 36. So that would have been like early, like what you graduated with like Oh four. Or something? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that means you went to the military when it was stuff's going on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. We, um, did yeah. you, did you deploy overseas and all that stuff? Summer of 2007, I was in sunny Iraq. Okay. That's exciting. Uh, and then how long did you do in the military? Uh, right at three years. Okay. Yeah. And then you, and so when I went to high school, they talked a lot about like, uh, you talked about, I think you said the call in or like you talk about vocation or, mm-hmm. or like what you're called to do. So is that when in the military is when you, you started thinking like, man, I think I, I want to become a priest. Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, grew up in this really close family, uh, very tight knit and, um, and so family was a big thing. We were always this big group, this big team, this uh, big community. And, um, um, you know, it was always anything that we did was with the family, with the team. When I went to the military, that was my first time to live alone. First time to me, for, first time for me to make uh, decisions on my own and, and uh, just things like that. Just without, without the family kind of holding my hand and me holding their hand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I leave, go to the military. I'm out in the big world on my own. And... Um, start start living and and that's whenever uh the the faith like living with jesus christ like it wasn't just a family thing that we did together but it, it really became a personal thing and then just out of that came this random idea of priesthood i'd be working you know in the warehouse or on some equipment or whatever and i would think about being a priest like god calling me and then like these random ideas became more coincidental and before long i realized that they were clear invitations and it was not just a you know accident but it was a the lord inviting me so that's kind of how that that unfolded and you know i'll tell you what's interesting about this to me is uh and you know maybe it's the juxtaposition of uh, like what a lot of people think of with uh 
you know, with like preachers or ministers or, you know, I'm, I'm going to say specifically with Catholicism because there's a, uh, there, there is a difference in, there's a difference in understanding of like a, a priest role within Catholicism versus like a, a Methodist minister or something, right? There, there's a, and you tell me if I'm wrong, right? But I'm going to, I'm going to bring into to light my many years of theology class. But you know, this, uh, or just like the idea of confession, right? Like that it's not just someone talking about God, but it's, you know, like a, a priest is supposed to serve as like a direct intermediary between God and people on earth, right? Like that's why like confession works, right? Like that's why you can be for a priest can, they're forgiving you for your sins, uh, like for Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. or for God. So there's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of uh, power and agency in the position, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like, with anything, when you have power and agency like that, that can, you know, be a wonderful thing. But, you know, with humanity, like, we're all flawed. Like, it can, it can go wrong, too. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm specifically talking about is it's interesting to me that, you know, you kind of became a man. Uh, like you're saying, you went to Iraq, right? You've been... You've been through a military process. You've been exposed to violence on, you know, some level or, or another, right? Like the camaraderie of uh, being in a unit, right? Like the rough way that uh, people talk and live and gallows humor and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, that's more, I'm more, I'm more willing to take uh, advice or instruction from somebody that I think has had some experiences rather than someone who's been completely sequestered, mm -hmm. which when I was telling you about that, like one mean nun I had, I think she was just like completely sequestered from mm -hmm. regular life for so long that there was a disconnect. Mm -hmm. uh, but so then like with the, with the idea of like on your, on your Instagram profile, right? You said that like you curse, right? Uh, that just seems like such a human thing to me, mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe some of it is, Catholicism too, right? Because like everyone I knew growing up, I mean, everybody drank beer, right? Mm -hmm. Like the priest would drink beer, right? There's uh, I'm not talking about, there's a difference between just drinking a beer and drunkenness, but mm -hmm. it's just kind of like a part of the culture. Yeah. But I never, I don't know that I've ever heard a priest curse before, uh, wow. but I, but I was also in academic environments, right? Yeah. I, I was never like hanging out. Never in a duck blind with a priest. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it was like fa father Houlihan, uh, uh, it was like an Irish guy, but he could drop a couple Dude, words. He would, he would, sure, John, sure. Every time I said something, like, sure, John, sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so how, I mean, how do you, how does that all work out? Like, how do you, uh, how do you bring kind of like a, a, a fully flawed human existence mm -hmm. uh, to a position of, like, such spiritual uh, authority? Yeah, man, life is savage and brutal. I've experienced that personally, and I've experienced God's grace in that brutality. And uh, I have to live and serve from that point of being broken and healed, from being uh, wounded and, 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 and fixed, from being a sinner and being redeemed. I have to live and love and serve from that point uh, if I expect to meet people in their own savage, brutal lives. Because every human being has stuff going on. I mean, we, we can ha live in these little, these, you know, whitewashed houses and, you know, glass palaces where everything looks good, but man, inside we're all hurting, like we're all broken, we're all like looking for love. Um, and so I've just experienced that 
uh, well, in my own life, I don't like BS. I don't like, um, uh, I can do like the little, the political talk or be nice and, and cordial, stuff like that. I get that. And there's a place for that. We need to do that. But I hate wasted time and idle talk. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of life. And the meat and potatoes is that, like, we all need help. We all need a savior. Yeah, that's the simple, the, the simplest way of understanding the gospel. And, um, and if I truly believe in the beauty and the dignity of human life, regardless of who the person is and what they've been through, then getting them the help, the mercy, the grace that they need should be my highest priority, which means I don't want to beat around the bush any more than I got to, to get to the depth of their soul. And so for me to be with them in the trenches, I can't be afraid to let them know that, hey, man, I've been in the trenches, too. And you know what? I'm still in these dang trenches. Um, so, Shorty. That's Shorty right there. The that's associate pastor. That's a beagle in. for you right there. <laughs> so, the, the associate pastor just came in. Hey, man. Um, and so, just, you know, loving. Dude, that associate pastor had skinny jeans. <laughs> it's a new Catholic church. He's folks. a hard worker, man. You know, we're... Um, we got to be in the world, but not of it. Uh, the, 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 if I can put it this way, the radical scandal of the gospel, and I mean this in a, in a, in a good, holy, and whole way, the scandal of the gospel is that God became one of us. This God who is beyond everything, who is greater than everything, who made everything, who holds everything in existence, who is beyond time, made the decision to enter into the confines of time and everything associated with that, everything except for sin from conception to death and beyond, right? That's the story of the gospel. We die and then conquer death, rise again on Sunday. Like, Jesus was pissing people off left and right. <laughs> the people who, um, who thought that he should live up to this particular stereotype, and he said, no, man, love doesn't fit into a box. Love is, love is brutal, but love is so good whenever it's raw and vulnerable and transparent. So, Jesus was with the broken people, the wounded people, the, the worst people by society standard. And so if I want to be an alter Christus, another Christ, if I want to be not just somebody who follows Jesus, but if I truly want to live as Jesus Christ here on earth, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but like living and continuing the ministry that he started, I, I need to do what he does and be with the broken people, hurting people, the wounded people. And the only way that they're going to trust me is that is if they know that, hey, I'm broken and wounded too, and I'm speaking from my own experiences. So that's kind of like the long answer of, yeah, you know, it, it, it's not this picture-perfect reality that people think, but I found it, I found ministry a lot more effective by being who I am with my strengths and weaknesses, my vices and virtues, than uh, trying to put on a facade. That's kind of the long answer. Yeah. No. Life is brutal, life is savage, and I've been loved in that, and that's the gospel message, and I want people... I want to love other people and their savage and brutal lives. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm with it, dude. That's, that's probably, a, you know, that's probably a lot of people's issue with, uh, with religion, mm -hmm. right? Is this, this, this refusal or inability, or just like you said, the facade of, of you know being a perfect or a better person right yeah. uh, or which is like to me man like that's one of the most human things yeah it's just 
you know, being scared, being flawed, you know, being screwed up, messing up, yeah. right? Having, being afraid that people are going to figure out that you're the fraud, that you're afraid you are, whatever it is, yeah. right? Uh, but, man, dude, that's, I mean, yeah, I think we could all do with a little bit more of, of, of that sense of humility. Well, uh, speaking from my experience in the Catholic Church, I mean, 2,000 years of history, of tradition, I hear constantly like, man, why are you still with that church? Y'all been through some crap. Y'all have done some dumb stuff. Yeah. As a church, we have. It's a divinely instituted institution or divinely you know, begun institution. The Lord holds it into existence, but it's a bunch of thugs in it. <laughs> We're all broken sinners, right? Um, the, the church is, as the Lord says in scriptures, is, is, you know, those who are well don't need a doctor. But, but those who are sick, you know, those, those are the ones that do. The, and the, the, the church is really a field hospital. And, you know, we've been through a bunch of stuff. And, but we've learned through all that stuff. And so whenever we, we mess up, we don't totally throw everything out and, uh, and try to put on a facade of being a, a perfect new institution. We're like, yeah, we, we goofed there or messed up here or this was a weak time in history, whatever. Uh, but, but we've learned. And, and so kind of limping along um, is, is kind of cool. Like it's like, man, like that, it just even limping along as a community, it, for me, is a sign of hope, not discouragement. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and so look, I, I, feel, I feel zero need to go into all the issues and problems that everyone's aware <laughs> of with this Catholic church, right? Or any church. But I would say, man, that I appreciate that because ultimately I think the biggest issue that people have had is the facade, mm -hmm. right? And so... Uh, yeah, just being willing to say we're limping along, man. That's a that's a that's an interesting description. Uh, okay, so let's get in, let's get into a little bit more personal stuff. So oh, I'll tell you what, this is just a this is this is just a question I have, uh, but especially like having been in the military, doing all that stuff before going to seminary, uh -huh. uh, and I bet like one of the number one questions people have about priest is like the the no marriage thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean you weren't a person before, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, did you ever have a girlfriend before? Yeah, yeah, I had girlfriends. They, that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, evidently, yeah. Um, you know, luckily, I was a pretty good kid growing up. Wasn't, wasn't wild, running around too bad. Um, but, I mean, like, you've kissed a girl before. Yeah, yeah, yeah like in so high that, school. Yeah. yeah, that's a human thing. But, see, <laughs> I, that's it, why I'm wondering, man, because that's just... That's an incredibly human thing, right? Yeah, and you know, it's it, you know, it's, for those who are listening, I am a Catholic priest. I'm celibate. That means I'm not married. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also means that even though I'm not married, it doesn't mean I'm running around with women. Like it, like I've I live make the choice to not be married, but also not be with any women mm -hmm. at all. Right? Not in any any kind of relationship like that. Um, and I'll be honest, man. There's sometimes where I'm thinking, "Geez, Louise, man!" Like here I'm at the school. It's like, man, I'm in, I'm in my mid thirties. I don't have a wife or kids. And part of that hurts, like part of that stings. But I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing because it, it, it reminds me of my commitment. I've, like, I, I know so many married people and like it's the same thing. You can be madly in love with your wife, madly in love with your husband, but that doesn't mean you're not gonna see somebody else at Walmart and think, wow, she's cute. Mm -hmm. Or wow, he's handsome, you know? Um, that doesn't mean you don't love your wife. Doesn't mean you don't love your husband. Doesn't mean you, you messed up with what you did, but it's another opportunity for you to say, now nah, this is the choice that I freely made. And, and that's what it's like for me. Like there's daily, there's reminders every day. Um, 
that I'm celibate, but there's also reminders every day that I freely made this choice. And for me to, you know, again, to follow the, 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 the life that Jesus led to the fullest degree, not just as long as it's comfortable, just enough or just close enough, like, Lord, I'll do everything with you, but, you know, give me a wife. Like, nah, Lord, if you're calling me to follow you and be you, like, okay, that's everything. And I can't pick and choose. And so I'm going to follow you to the nth degree. Um, so, you know, following him, and Jesus wasn't married, so following even in that radical way. And then practically speaking, it gives me, like, I don't have wife and kids to, to take care of. And so if somebody calls me at 2 a.m. to go to the hospital because their kid was in a wreck, all right, I can go. If I had to cancel my plans, I was supposed to go elk hunting last month, two-week hunt. I've been planning for six months. Um, had to cancel it. Some things came up the Friday before I was going to leave. I was going to leave Sunday. Man, it hurt. It hurt. But love required me to say, all right, this is, this is my calling. And um, so um, I hunt to become a better priest. I hunt so that I can love people more. Um, and so uh, that was a moment whenever the Lord was like, hey, I need you to love these people. So, geez, so, okay, I'll love them. Man, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. That, okay, so I've seen you uh, on Instagram. I've seen you, like, reference Cameron Haynes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you got that military thing going on, right? Uh, it looks like, you know, it looks like you're doing, I don't know if you're actually doing CrossFit, but, I mean, you're, you're doing lifts, right? Mm -hmm. You got bumper plates and all that yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. So that actually makes sense to me, man, because ultimately, what I, I think if I'm reading this right, what you're talking about is... Uh, you know who Jocko Willink is? Yeah, that guy, right? Awesome, extreme ownership, man. Yeah, and he talks about that, uh, you know, that like discipline is freedom, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that would make sense to me. Like, you're, you're talking about a life of discipline. Mm -hmm. That makes sense that you would be lifting weights, right? That's a, that's a form of discipline, right? Like bow hunting, kind of choosing a, a harder way to hunt. Mm -hmm. There's discipline involved in that. Uh, Yeah, dude. Yeah, that that all that really does. That makes sense to me. Uh, it, it, it seems can, like it would work together. It can be terribly intimidating this aspect of discipline, which is very lacking in the world today. I mean, I think you and I just and other people who are in their mid thirties, late thirties right now, like we were lucky enough to be on the tail end of like just an era where we knew what it meant to obey. We knew what discipline was. We knew what um, what it meant to respect your elders. Um, and it's getting harder and harder to find kids who who live that out right now. Um, and this aspect of discipline is like, it's a reminder that, well, it, it's a reminder of the need to make distinctions between needs and wants and how there's going to be plenty of times when you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do, but, but you got to do. One of the, the reasons I love working out or choosing to hunt in a harder way or pushing myself to the physical limits, even emotional, psychological limits is because it reminds me that I'm not in control and the better I can get at freely choosing to suffer a little bit makes it easier for me to suffer in the moments that I don't choose. So whenever I get that call, you know, for example, at 2 a.m. to go to the hospital or to cancel a hunt that I've been planning for, for half a year, man, that sucks. But I don't get the choice. Like, okay, I'm going to suffer. But I'm not afraid to suffer because I've intentionally built that tolerance of suffering by freely choosing to do it when it's in my control. So that when it's out of my control, okay. So it could be something as small as, as um, um, making my bed every morning, folding clothes. I hate folding clothes. I, uh, <laughs> um, 
I, and I'm guilty. Like I'm just one person, don't have kids, no wife. I can't believe how much laundry I've got to fold. It never ends. So for people with, you know, wives, husbands, kids, God bless them. But like, here's an interesting story. Before I moved here, I was at the other church in Batesville and I would always keep my laundry in the recliner because I'm like, I'm not going to fold it. I'm going to wear it again within a day or two. So why spend time folding it, putting it away? Did that for a while, you know, so I had some clothes there in the, in the recliner, just kept it, kept it there. And I was walking through the living room one day and the Lord stopped me and just spoke like so clearly. And I just heard with the ears of my heart, just, he said, man, how do you expect to take care of the souls in your church if you can't fold the clothes in that chair? I said, man, okay, that, that really hit me. Just something as simple as having the discipline to fold some t-shirts. Like the Lord used that to say, like, folding clothes right here is going to help you save souls out there. So doing the little bitty things, intentionally choosing to suffer, helps us to love more in life. So discipline definitely gives you freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've, I talk a lot about on this podcast is like this idea of building up resiliency in your life, right? Uh, and so like I kind of told you when we were texting earlier, like the whole point of this podcast is finding people that I think are interesting that are, are you know, kind of, you know, shorthand be like blazing their own path or something, right? And it, maybe at first glance, you know, someone joining a 2,000-year-old institution might not seem like blazing your own path, but everything you're talking about is the same stuff that everything, everybody else that I talk to uh, is, is talking about, right? Like, mm -hmm. now it's different the way people do it, but mm -hmm. it's that idea of instituting some discipline in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and, and I'm not talking about, like, the idea of self-flagellation, but... Uh, mm -hmm. You know, just whether it's like physical, we talk a lot about like the blue collar work, work ethic, right? Like if it's just, you've been outside in the heat in Arkansas roofing houses or digging ditches or something, right? Like that, that lends itself to toughness in another way, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, just being, seeing death, right? Yeah. And, and not just death like in the, in the polished uh, like we know a lot of people, I bet a lot of people in America, like the only time they've ever seen a dead person is, you know, after they've, you know, gone through a process and they've been kind of preserved and it's like in an open casket. Right. That's very different. And I've done stuff in my life where, you know, I've like had people die and I've had my hands on them and seen them die lots of different ways. And as effed up as that is, this is, I don't want to say that I want to say effed up cause I'm talking to a priest, but as effed up as that is, it is, <laughs> uh, it does make you appreciate living a lot more, mm -hmm. right? Cause you, you, you get an idea of how fragile we ultimately are. Right. And how yeah. it's just like little weird decisions can impact your existence or the people around you or other people's seemingly inconsequential decisions can do that and, and, and affect somebody and mm -hmm. the rest of somebody's life, right? Man, consequences have effects or effects have consequences. Actions have consequences. <laughs> the things we do have, have consequences. Um, even to the point of death, two things that like come to mind as you're talking about that. First of all, the trailblazers is one thing. And then also this aspect of death in my room, I've got a, a an artificial human skull right there, right in the middle. Not in the middle of my room, but like on my shelf. I see it every day. 
and it's a there's an ancient tradition in in the Catholic Church of memento mori. Mm-hmm. Remember your death. Remember that you're going to die. You're you're you've got a clock that's ticking, and it's it has a definite end for the the corporeal life. So we, the spiritual life, we you know we we believe lives on. So that there's there's consequences for the way we live this life now. But there's going to come a time whenever like what we've done, we've done. We can't undo it. We and, and then we can't justify why we did it it's just a matter of saying this is what it was memento mori seeing that skull every day when you remember that you're going to die and that's always like kind of in the front of your mind not in a like a terribly macabre way or just like a, a morbid way but a way of like man it's sobering and it makes you think about priorities and making decisions you make decisions in, in different ways and you prioritize your things differently whenever you think you know my time is limited uh, my family's time is limited um, you know, I, I could be a total jerk to my mom, but, you know, the person I love the most and the one who loves me more than anyone else, just like I can be a, a jerk to her. But then like, I'll think, dude, I could have a wreck and die. She could have a wreck and die. And do I want that on my heart that the last thing I did was disrespectful. To, I was disrespectful to my mom. Like, no, like, man. Okay. Hey mom, you know, call her up. I'm sorry. You know, I was a jerk, whatever. Sorry. I was an ass to you, whatever, whatever it is. And, and but the point I'm getting at is like it helps me to do the things that I may not want to do. Like I don't want to say I'm sorry because that, that that affects my ego, my pride. But I got to get over that. Like yeah. So memento mori, remembering that you're die that you're going to die uh, at a time that you're not planning is um, helps you live a better life. So that's one thing. Memento mori. Um, death is a uh, it's savage, but. Um, God can work through it in amazing ways. And so it can be a very beautiful thing. It can be a very beautiful thing. The second thing, going back to the trailblazing stuff, uh, this is very Jesuit, actually. St. Ignatius of Loyola had this phrase, Aji quod agis. I got it tattooed on my arm. Mm-hmm. Aji quod agis. Um, and it means, uh, you know, do what you're doing. The, 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 the deeper understanding is like, whatever you're doing, give it 100%. And I, and I would argue that, all the people that, that you've talked to and some great interviews, by the way, would be, um, you know, it may seem like they're all doing the same thing, but what they're, because in a way what they're doing is giving life their hundred percent. And I think if you were to step back, all the people that you'd be interested in that any of us would be most interested in are the people that are all in. I don't care what you're doing. Like if you're all in, I can, I can support that. I can back that and I'll be interested in that. So memento mori. And Aji quote Aji, that's, that's people's Latin lesson for the day from the from the priest. But yeah, remember your death. It's going to help you live better. And uh, Aji quote Aji, do what you're doing. Be, be all in. Don't half-ass it. Man, I mean, I'm thinking about all sorts of stuff. Here. Uh, here's <laughs> completely unrelated. Who's uh, There's like a little BMX mongoose. Who's is that? No, <laughs> actually, we had our big parish fair, and that was part of the raffle. And so oh, okay. the, the people are coming by to pick up their stuff. So that's a little, little kid from the church. Oh, it. man. They I wanted, I wanted one of y'all to be out here just like grinding rails and stuff. I uh, do have a skateboard, though. And I'm learning how to skateboard. Dude, you better be careful of that, man. Bones break a lot easier. I know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Dude, I... That skateboard, I did some rough stuff in my life, but that skateboard is something I can never, I was always too afraid. I got, like, I remember I sold, uh, I remember what this thing was called, but I sold, like, wrapping paper and just whatever for, until I got enough points to get a prize, and I got this, hmm. this old skateboard, and, man, I got on that thing one time and never got on it again. <laughs> uh, who's playing that guitar over there? That's my guitar. Oh. 
It's like a metal guitar. Was that Jackson or something? No, Court is the name of it. No, I don't even know the brand, but or they just a brand. I've never heard of it before, other than that one. Got that back in high school. Yeah, but man, about to say. I mean, it looks like a. I mean, that's definitely an electric guitar that's like more suited towards like playing metal and. Yeah, it's got uh, built-in effects. I'm not a big metal guy, but it's a. It's got a good warm sound. Like, good sounds. You good. got? Is it a MIDI guitar? Mini? MIDI. Oh, nah, no. No. Okay. That's hey Brian. I'll understand that he's a <laughs> he's got a degree in sound engineering, uh, man. So, what is the, what's the majority? Let's get back to a little bit of hunting. What's the majority of your of your hunting center around? Uh, big game, primarily whitetail. Here in Arkansas, we get six tags, and I try to fill all of them. Do you re- do you really? Yeah, yeah. I have for the last few years. Um, I do a lot of doe hunting on. Uh, just I got a lot of friends who have private property. You know, big bucks are cool. But, um, man, there's something fun about just chasing does that are just keyed up and snorting and blowing and just pissing you off every time they they're come They're harder in. to kill. Oh, they're frustrating. I was on some just Monday morning. And, oh, I said bad words to them. But, um, yeah, so I just I really enjoy doe hunting. And also I understand the, the conservation aspect of it. So it's not beyond my ego to say, you know, a big buck would be cool, but I know we got a ton of does that in this state we got a ton of deer and uh and we got to take out some does so um they eat just as good too you can't eat the horns so uh, yeah and that but, big buck stuff man there's some real there's some ego involved in it right like the pursuit of it oftentimes yeah yeah you know there's a good analogy there for life it's easier to to um brag about doing the big stuff and failing because then who would judge you if you fail on the big stuff mm-hmm um because if you try if you say you tried something easier and you fail at it they're going to think you're a loser you know for example like if i say man i didn't fold my bed make my bed this morning and fold my clothes you'd say like dude you're a loser but if i say you know i tried to build a whole house in one day and i didn't get it done they were like oh wow well you tried well it's unrealistic but um and so there's some ego i think definitely in that of, of of it gives us an excuse for failure Whereas if we, if we do the thing that is quote unquote easier or that there's more of a surplus of, there's a ton of does out there. You'll see them pretty much every time you go hunting, depending on where you go most of the time. Um, I don't think you're going to get one. And, uh, so it, uh, it keeps you humble, <laughs> but yeah, ton of that. I just recently got into a few years ago, elk hunting, um, been out a few times. I'm actually going to head out Sunday. Um, you know, God willing, that's the plan for my fourth year. Hopefully I'll get one this year. Um, that's been fun. That's just a grind uh hunting out there colorado backcountry you hunting public land in colorado yeah that's hard for elk man everybody and their mama wants a i mean you can get it's easy to get a colorado elk tag from out of state but man they get everybody goes there savage man those animals are pressured they're smart you got to cover the ground you got to be in top physical condition um which is why i train i train to hunt uh and um uh, we've seen elk every year that the group i was supposed to go out with in september one of my buddies got one and um and uh, it's tough, tough. I mean, those animals are smart. They're quiet. Yeah, they can smell. I, man, I killed a, I killed a late season elk in January in Utah, and yeah, you watch them catch that wind, man, and it's like you ain't catching them then, man. Yeah. They smell you, and they're three hundred yards away, and it's real different than hunting. Hunting out west is really different than hunting in Arkansas. And I've I've talked about this a little bit, but I mean, even probably as recently as like a year and a half ago or something. I kind of wrote us. 
I mean, I don't know that it came off that way, but it, before, it probably did before the edit. Like, the editor made me edit some stuff on it. Because mm. I think there was, a, there was some smarminess in it about Western hunters, mm. right? Because I had this idea that people around here were maybe more legitimate hunters because, you know, you can kind of be like an old redneck and, like, pan fish and hunt deer and trap beavers and do all this stuff year-round, right? And out west, it's... You know, people maybe have 10 days or something, mm -hmm. right? But after I got up in the mountains and just got the absolute hell kicked out of me, <laughs> I really, I mean, it's, it's a different enterprise, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a, it's physical exertion in a way that you can't get, a, you know, the vast majority of people that call themselves deer hunters here, I mean, they wouldn't make it an hour trying to hump up on those mountains in like thin air, mm -hmm. uh, having to move fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, man, it, it's a totally different enterprise and I get, I kind of get why someone has to train all year long mm -hmm. to expend that energy. It's, it's like the difference between being a sprinter and a, a cross country person, right? Yeah. You can fake yourself, you know, you can fake it into a, a, a stand hunting whitetails. I mean, there's still that hunting aspect to it, but hunting 10 to, or hiking 10 to 15 miles through the, the mountain back country. I mean, you can't fake that. Either you're going to do it or you're not. And uh, so that's savage. So something that a, a new thing I've really recently gotten into is is uh, exotic hunting down in Texas, which is a whole nother form of hunting. Uh, kind of like you were mentioning with Western hunting. I had this whole concept of hunting these big ranches for like axis deer down in Texas. And I was like, that that ain't hunt at all. But it's a total different kind of hunting. And after doing it a couple of times, like I've gained a respect for that as a form of hunting as as one one form among many of of hunting that's that's you know that'd be a whole other conversation in itself but um um when you're going after a very specific animal and having that discipline to let all these others walk while you're waiting for the one and it's um it's just it's it, it's unique so that's that's another kind of hunting but uh there's so many different ways to hunt in this great country uh yeah, and that is a thing. You can do it lots of different ways. Like you can, like if you want it to just be a brutal suck fest, you know, and, and give yourself a very, very hard to reach goal, you can make it that, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to just fill your freezer, you live in Arkansas and you just you say to yourself, man, I don't want to buy ground beef at Walmart. I want to kill six deer a year and grind them up. And you know, my example is always hamburger helper or whatever. Mm. You can totally do that. Uh, sloppy does. I do that also. You do that yeah, sloppy Joe's. But yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a man. And it's, you know, and I do like a lot of cooking and stuff and it's, it's one of the things that I get, I get it because lots of people want to, especially with cooking, they want it to be like aspirational, mm -hmm. but, uh, it, it doesn't have to be right. It can just be super simple and comforting and familiar. And it's, uh, you know, if you, if you bring it to the fact that you're dealing something that hasn't been processed, if you bring it to the fact that you're, you've got the story of how it came, mm -hmm. like there's levels to that, right? You want to talk about like, you know, we'll get to the religion stuff. Like you want to talk about like fulfilling, filling your soul, right? Like it'll do that on lots mm -hmm. of different levels, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, man. So I'm all for it. And, and as I've gotten older, I've just removed, I've, I've, I mean, I've just been humbled so much that I I don't feel like everybody has to do things the way that I do it yeah. to, for it to be appropriate, right? Because I don't do stuff the same way that I did it 
you know, however many years ago. Yeah. I think it's important to be involved in the process of whatever you're doing in life. I don't care what you're doing. If you're a CEO of a business, fantastic. Great. Congrats, you know, for having that great position. But don't forget how to do the lowliest job in your office. If you're, uh, if you're eating food, uh, fantastic. Great. But, but don't, don't think you're beyond the process of acquiring that food. So, you know, whatever you got to do to, to participate in one way or another to acquire that food, I, I think it's good. It gives you definitely a different perspective of the food you know for example hunting like i'm definitely more grateful for food that i hunt i'm less likely to waste it to throw it out or let it go mm-hmm. bad in the fridge i'm like man because that blood is on my hand which takes it back to the harvest aspect every time i i harvest an animal it hurts man like it's so fun but every time like there's when you walk up to that that animal like you know it's it, you're excited because you got one but you see a thing's eye you still feel the warmth of his body, and you think, gosh, I'm a monster. Like, I made a free conscious choice to end this thing's life. Um, but it's for a greater good. It's for the sake of another being living, living, a, living a fuller life. And, um, and so that's, that's, a, that's the heart of sacrifice. That's at the heart of love. Um, love should hurt because it should cost you something. Um, and what you you know it, and that gives you life in return hunting does that it's um as soon as a hunter loses that aspect of as soon as they don't feel that pinch or that sting whenever they kill an animal i, th- I think they need to take a break or something or you know slow down a little bit that's in, in my opinion um because it is a very sacred moment and i under i, I can see the more i hunt I, I i see so clearly clearly why the how the native americans and you know how and why they honored and even worshipped creation the way that they did. You know, and uh, there's just something of you know. Uh, I think it was Randy Newberg who, who who was talking about. It. I'm sure others have said it too. But like, um, you know, if you know, to to well, I don't remember how he said it. Something along the lines of like, you know, uh, for me to live, blood has to be shed, and, and you know, and I want that blood on my hands if it's going to be for for the sake of me living. And so. Yeah, to bring it on back oh, to the food. It doesn't have to be extravagant or elegant, but uh, I think just being connected to the process um, really, uh, re- really makes it more valuable. Yeah, and I would I would actually even say that cooking is part of that too. Yeah. Right, like that. That's something. I mean, just in a basic form, that's something that everybody should do. And I've I've seen people that kind of wear it like a badge of honor in their sleeve. Oh man, I can't cook anything. I eat all my meals out like. Man, beyond that, it's probably not that fiscally responsible to do that. <laughs> beyond the fact that, you know, you're not controlling what goes into it. You know, there's other stuff that comes from that. There's other stuff that, I mean, you know, there's meditation and just taking time, right? Like yeah. that whole idea of why did grandma's food taste so good? Because of love, right? Yeah. Now you call that love or intention or whatever, but there's, a, there's an aspect of self that goes into that. Mm. Uh, and I get it, man, with the... I'm huge on that with my kids, right? Like, if it's something that I killed, like this bear that I killed, right? Like, I don't, I don't really care if you eat all the Brussels sprouts, but like you're eating this bear, meat, yeah, right. Uh, and and I think it, it, I'm, oh, I'm hoping that it lends itself to towards a greater appreciation of you know, of like some aspect of the human condition for him, yeah. right? Like same way that I like him going and getting eggs every few days out of the coop, right? Or like yeah. picking peppers, like just have some connection 
to where it comes from. And it's something that I struggle with actually a lot is uh, remembering and kind of forcing myself to exert effort because it's so easy to get food, right? You're just mm-hmm. driving down the road and you're like, oh, I can get this or that. That we're kind of designed to exert effort uh, to to like feed ourselves, right? You mm-hmm. know, and I'm sure you know. Take that further, right? Like physically, spiritually, all that stuff. Like yeah. what you're talking about, uh, man. I know you've got a meeting you got to go to, so we'll just wrap this up in a couple minutes here. But uh, I'll tell you actually what I was just thinking about. Uh, you know, into reference. You know, just like the struggles of being human. Uh, I'll tell you what I think. I think just doing this conversation with you, what I think would actually be a struggle to work out that you should pay attention to, man, is uh, like fame. I think you could you could have a huge presence talking about stuff like this. I mean, I'm finding myself inspired, right? Like mm-hmm. you could. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be pretty easy for you to have like a huge following of people, mm-hmm. which would. Hey, man, that's a good thing, right? If you're trying to spread your message. Like that could be a really good thing, but, uh, it's man, it's weird and stuff that I struggle with when mm-hmm. people listen to what you say, mm-hmm. it's a man, that's a weird, scary thing. I don't know why I'm like giving you advice. Like I have any yeah. authority to, but I just thought about that. I was like, man, this dude could be, you know, you're doing cool, hard stuff, man. Like you could be a Jocko or a David Goggins or something. Right. Especially yeah. with the street cred. Right. Yeah. Of like you've been in a war, you're, uh, or I was just thinking that, like, man, I bet this dude could get permission to hunt anywhere. Who's going to tell a priest they can't come and hunt, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try not to abuse that, man. I, we, going back to, like, the doe hunting, I, I, uh, people do give me access, but I don't want to take their big deers that they're saving for their kids or whatever. But, um, <laughs> hey, I'm going to hunt that dog if you don't quit barking. Shorty, <laughs> knucklehead. Um, man, you know, it's – no, thanks for sharing that. You definitely got every authority to share that with me. And, uh, and that's – uh, I try that. To, I tell that to my people all the time. Like, man, if you see something that I'm screwing up, or something that I should do differently, or something I should focus on, tell me. Like, I want to be a better human being, and I'm not beyond critique. I'm not beyond criticism. I I enjoy that. Actually, I prefer to hear that more than um, more than everyone say, oh, you know, always fantastic job. Like, it sucks to get punched in the gut, <laughs> but it's good. Like it, because it, it it makes me better. Um, well, I'm, man, please understand. I'm not critiquing you. No, no, no. I didn't think that at all. I didn't think that at all. But like, what what I'm saying is like, um, there's just a there's a big weight that goes with being heard by people. Um, and grass looks greener on the on the other side. It always looks greener on the other side. But when people listen to you, like, if you truly take that seriously, that should stress you out. Like, it should it should be a burden because. Words have consequences, and the things that we say can change completely somebody's life, and um, that's a serious thing for the for the good and for the bad. We can be total monsters. We can just be jerks to people, and that can ruin somebody's day. Uh, we can be good to people, and that can change their day. Um, but um, you know, the Lord the Lord gives us all different talents in different ways, and if we use those talents and don't bury them, like that's when we're, you know, life, that's when we're living to the fullest. And, and two things I just try to focus on so much, and it keeps me grounded, is gratitude and generosity. Uh, just gratitude and generosity. I try to be grateful to so many people and um, just 
just gratitude and just generosity. I try to say yes as much as I can. It burns me out. I probably say yes more than I should, but I, I just try to do as much as I can for people. Gratitude and generosity. But yeah, man, it was fun. Enjoy this little chat. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. I'll let you get to your meeting, but uh, if people want to keep on keep up with what you're doing, how's uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, um, probably Instagram. That's really all I got now. Um, uh, all spelled out: Father Stephen J. Gadbury. Um, Father Stephen J. Gadbury. There's a couple fake pages out there. It's kind of frustrating, but <laughs> uh, so Father Stephen J. Gadbury. Um, you'll you'll notice. You'll see it's me. The, the photos and stuff, but. Uh, yeah, that's where they can check me out, shoot me a message, and always try to connect with people there. And then, are you over here on Sundays? Yeah, uh, we got we got um, five services on Sunday, one Saturday night, and then five throughout the week here at St. Teresa's Catholic Church down on Baseline, 60, uh, 6219 Baseline Road in uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, down in South Little Rock. You do, Are you doing services in Spanish and English? Spanish and English, yeah. You got any Latin Mass left? Um, no Latin Mass is here, but we, we still use some Latin. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, well, hey, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jonathan. Enjoyed it, man. God bless. Thank you so much for listening all the way through to this episode of the Black Duck Revival Podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and my dear friend, Brian Sachs. First off, let me thank folks for... Uh, leaving reviews i've been i've been seeing more and more reviews pop up about the podcast people really seem to be enjoying it and really i i deeply appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your day to uh give it a five-star review uh, and even more so to just write a few sentences about what you like and about what you get out of the podcast that's hugely rewarding for me uh, if you want to keep up with what's going on you can always follow me on Instagram. That handles Black Duck Revival. You can check out the website. That is blackduckrevival.com. Uh, and also, I I got called out when I did somebody else's podcast a couple weeks ago, and I, I wanted to address it. And it was a uh, they kind of called me out about going dark uh, as far as like responding to emails or. Uh, Instagram DMs and so full disclosure, yeah, I'm I'm bad at that. And uh, it was a good kick in the pants to get called out for it because uh, I totally understand how it can be perceived as being rude. Uh, absolutely not my intention at all. Uh, if I have kind of <laughs> just been really terrible about getting back to you or getting sidetracked and maybe not responding at all. I apologize. I'm just bad at it. And if you really want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that, as old school as this sounds, is give me a phone call. Because I can take a phone call while I'm doing other stuff, and it's still hard for me to sit down and type out responses for whatever reason. It just takes it takes a lot of mental uh, effort on my part, and it kind of stresses me out. And so sometimes I avoid it until some other stuff comes up and then I lose track of things or uh, then I'm like stressed out about I didn't respond when I should have and so then I keep putting it off or whatever. I'm, I'm telling you all my personal business here. But I did want to acknowledge that that's something I'm bad at and I'm aware that I'm not good at it and I'm going to put serious effort into being better at it. So uh, that being said, 
If you want to, you can send me an email or send me a DM or send me a text message or give me a call. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you about stuff. Uh, I even got recently, I got approached by someone who wanted me to come out to their place and do kind of a private class for them and their family. And I hope that works out and I'd love to do that for more of you. So if that's something you're interested in, if you're here local in Arkansas uh, or have bus or have van, will travel, I'll come to wherever you're at. It can be for your hunt club. It can be for your organization, your friends and family. We can put something custom together for you. We can talk about uh, the history of African-American hunters. We can talk about uh, whole animal processing. We can break down a deer. We can break down a goat. We can break down birds. Uh, we can do cooking instruction. We can do all that fun stuff. We can make sausage, hang out. Uh, we can really kind of customize it to whatever you want. So if you're interested in that, give me a holler. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have not done so yet, please take a minute to leave a five-star review if you think we deserve it. Uh, and a written review, that helps tremendously. It gets more eyes on the podcast. Thanks to everybody. See you next time.